How's everybody doing? Pretty good? Y'all all doing all right? Well, I tell you what, there, there, there seems to be a spirit of slumber here today. I don't know if it's the weather or what's going on, but there's, there's a spirit of slumber. So, so we're going to break that right now in the name of Jesus. No slumber, right? Everybody's eyes wide open. Come on. Y'all have four cups of coffee. And, and we're going to listen in the name of Jesus, right? Okay. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. That's going to be our, our first uh, text that we read. Father, we thank you so much for this time together, and uh, we pray that you bless it. This is your word. These, we're your people, and, and we ask your blessing upon this time in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Would everyone please stand? Stand with me as we read the word of God, because it is holy and precious and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, and out of respect we don't do this every Sunday, but just today, we're going to stand as we read the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 19. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God, the Father of everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, always giving thanks to God the Father in everything, for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me, please, to Psalm 100 so that we can read what the psalmist wrote. Listen to this. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God it is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Now, listen. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Again, the Apostle Paul writing here. Be joyful always. Pray continuously. Giving thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Joyfulness, prayerfulness, and thankfulness. We thank you for your word, Lord God. And we bless it in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Thanksgiving is an American holiday, one of our major American holidays. But it's also a biblical principle. It's a holiday with a biblical principle. Not all of our holidays have biblical principles. Are you aware of that? Especially some down here in Cajun land. They do not have biblical principles. This one is a holiday with a biblical principle. The psalmist again said in Psalm 119, I will rise at midnight to give thanks unto thee, O Lord. Jesus himself, the Son of God, gave thanks to his Father. Every time they would break bread together, he would bless the meal as we're going to do when we share communion after this service. He thanked in John chapter 17 his Father for his disciples, for those that you have sent me. And then he thanked his Father even for those yet to come, meaning us. Thanking ahead of time, 
his Father in heaven for us who would be disciples. The Apostle Paul was extremely thankful. If you read all the writings of the Apostle Paul, he was a very, very thankful man. He thanked God for those that God had sent him to disciple. For the churches, he opened up some of the epistles saying, I thank God for you, my brothers, in this church. And he thanked God for the work in his life. I think Paul was so thankful because Paul had not forgotten where he came from. Paul remembered how much had been given to him and how much had been forgiven in his life. Cicero said this, A thankful heart is not only the greatest virtue, but the parent of all virtues. Plutarch said this, The worship worship must is the most acceptable thing to God that comes from a thankful and cheerful heart. Walton said this, God has two dwelling places. Listen, God has two dwelling places, one in heaven and and the other in a meek and thankful heart. As a nation, our first Thanksgiving Day was celebrated on December 13th, 1621. 1621. When Governor William Bradford of Massachusetts with the Plymouth Compact in that colony, he declared a day of thanksgiving after a winter or two of where they had almost lost everyone in the colonies, where they were starving to death and sickness had come upon them. And then by God's grace, actually the Native Americans came in and helped them and showed them. And they ended up having a bountiful, the way that it it reads, a bountiful harvest that year. And they had the first Thanksgiving. And he called a corporate time, now listen, of prayer and thanksgiving. Of prayer and thanksgiving. And then in our nation, the first president, the first president to acknowledge it, years and years later, was Abraham Lincoln. This was brought forth by a lady, one of the, one of, we have founding fathers, this is one of the founding mothers of our nation. Her name was Sarah Hale. And she pushed and pushed and pushed, and finally it became known as officially Thanksgiving Day here in the United States. And that was in 1863 with, with one of my heroes, President Abraham Lincoln. In 1941, they changed the date from the last day in November till today, which is the fourth Thursday in November. However, that falls every year. Now, this week and today in our nation, we have set aside this time to thank God for his great blessings, personal blessings, national blessings as a nation. But it's been diluted. And and, and Thanksgiving, hear my heart here, is my favorite holiday. Thanksgiving is my favorite time of the year, more so than Christmas, more so than any other time, Fourth of July or or anything. I love Thanksgiving time, and it breaks my heart to see what has happened to this wonderful time set aside to thank God, to pray, to acknowledge his goodness in our life. It's been diluted to a time of of what? You You can tell me, you know, of overeating, of over football, we, we, we sashay, and I love football, I'm telling you, but we, we sashay, we go overboard with football, and over what else? Shopping. Where does this Black Friday come from? What, who came up with Black Friday right after a time that has been set aside to worship God and to thank God for all the blessings in our, in our life? Now, let's go the next day and get so much in debt, it's going to take us three years to get out of debt. 
I mean, come on, guys. It doesn't make any sense, and it breaks my heart to see that happening to this wonderful holiday, my favorite holiday. A holiday that I can remember a time in my life was not the happiest time in my life. I remember a much more humble uh, time in, in my life. I remember being alone and single at Thanksgiving time with no family in Lake Charles where I lived, working on the railroad, um, with no money to go to a fancy restaurant and eat Thanksgiving, and uh, no church to worship in whatsoever, alone and, and, and lonely, and having to go to work and feeling sorry for myself. I remember one year going and buying, y'all remember when they first came out with those little turkey rolls, you could get them? It was a turkey that was stuffed, and you remember that, brother? And, and you'd go and buy them, and I went by myself, and I bought a little turkey roll and a couple of cans of vegetables, and I went home, and I had Thanksgiving. Oh, poor Marshall. I remember one year, it was just me and my brother Charles, and my mother was here in Lafayette, and she had given me a frozen duck. And I took that duck and I put it in the oven and tried to bake that duck on my own to have a Thanksgiving. And the grease came out of the duck into the pan and caught on fire. I mean, bellowing out of my apartment, just, just the fire alarm. They just come out with fire alarms and the smoke is just bellowing. I, I, I did the sliding door and the smoke was coming out. And my neighbor who lived right across had a little bitty dog. And I opened up the front door and the little dog ran into my apartment and was running around barking. I couldn't even see him. There was so much smoke in the apartment. <laughs> so I have memories of a time in Thanksgiving when it was not that great a time. And that's why I encouraged y'all, if you know someone who doesn't have family, someone who is alone, someone call them. And, and you'll have the, blessed, the most blessed Thanksgiving you've ever had in your life, okay? Then things started getting better for me. God intervened, and, and I married June, and then I had an extended family, moved to Lafayette, closer to her mother, closer to my mother, and by God's great grace, we had Caleb, we had a son, and then Thanksgiving started meaning more and more things to me and started becoming richer and better. I remember us having Thanksgiving every year at our house with, with Lois, her mom, and, and, and my mom, and, and, and we would have her brother Maurice and Kent and, and, and Kathy, and, 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 and we'd have Ben Gospar, Cuz, would come over. He was single, and, and he'd come over and, and, and have. And Bob and V, uh, who aren't with us today, but Bob and V would come over, and, and, and we would have, and every year we would gather around the table, church, and we would, I'll never forget, we would say, because we knew our parents were getting older, and her mom had been diagnosed with cancer, and every year we would say, Lord, we thank you for one more year that we have together here at this table. And then one by one, they went to heaven. And right now, they're pretty much all, almost all of those people I mentioned, they're gone. So be thankful this week as you sit around that table. And thank God for those family members that you have for one more year. We should approach this holiday church with humility and with a thankful heart. We should set it aside as a time of prayer and thanksgiving, as William Bradford did. We should thank God for our spouses and children and grandchildren and provision and protection, just to name a few. But listen to me, church. Don't wait until it's too late. Thank Him now. Realize. Make a list of those things that God has blessed you with in your life. Thank him for your salvation. 
Thank him for the work of his son, Jesus Christ, and the death on the cross so that you can say, I am going to heaven when I leave this world. Thank him for his love directed toward you in the work of Calvary. Thank him for the provision in your life, for a roof over your head. Thank him for a means to come here and worship him in a church. Thank him for this church, for this building. Thank him for those people who have influenced you in your life. Thank him for those people who love you unconditionally in your life. And acknowledge it. Acknowledge that in your life. I believe that a thankful heart, a heart of thanksgiving, I believe that a thankful heart produces things in your life that people who are not thankful don't have in their life. And some of these things I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, you will recognize in your life and even in people that you know that are not thankful that they don't have in their life. I believe that the product of a thankful heart is a Christ-like heart. I believe it produces the heart of Christ in you. That when you are thankful, when you take time and make an effort to be thankful, to recognize and to list and to thank God in prayer for those things that he's blessed you with, the forgiveness in your life, the joy in your life, which is your strength, all of these things that we just mentioned, that it produces the heart of Christ in you. Paul in 1 Corinthians said, and, 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 and that we're going to, we're going to do this in a little while as we have communion. Jesus, at the, at the Last Supper, which was really the first communion, okay, says he took bread, and we're going to read it in a second, and he thanked God for it. While I was studying this, the church that, and I want to share this with you, uh, uh, communion was, was called uh, sharing the Holy Eucharist. How many of you remember that if, if you were raised in the same church? I was the Holy Eucharist. Do you know what Eucharist means? Eucharist means literally, a literal translation of the word means, in the Greek, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. So as you share communion, you are thanking God for the work of the cross, remembering what he did. And Jesus did that. In Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, listen to this, so then, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith that you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiving. What's this thanksgiving thing that seems to be in all of these scriptures? It's this underlining tone. Paul was so in tune with thanksgiving because, as I said earlier, he had just seen what he had been forgiven and he's seen how much he had been given. He understood that a thankful heart is the doorway to so many other Christ-like characteristics. He was aware that someone who is thankful to God is more apt to extend mercy, to give grace, to have compassion, to serve others, and to give to others because they are thankful for what has been given to them. And these are all characteristics of the heart of Christ, the character of Christ. Now, let me ask you something. Listen, listen to me. Have y'all ever been around some grouchy, unforgiving, ungracious, 
just flat mean people. Have you ever been around somebody like that? Raise your hand if you have. Okay. Now, don't, don't look at your spouse. Put a mirror in front of your face. Someone said, yeah, me. <laughs> if you turn and look at your spouse, you, you, we need to get you some help. All right. Yeah, we've all been around somebody like that. Have you noticed that people like that normally are not thankful people? They are always striving for more. They are always after something more. It's always greener on the other side. They are not thankful people, and they turn into grouchy, unforgiving, because they don't have Christ-like character within them. Kind of like in It's a, a Wonderful Life, Mr. Potter. How many of y'all, that's my favorite movie, by the way. Uh, Mr. Potter, you Mr. Potter, the old grouchy, the banker, remember, owned the bank. In it. How many of you have seen that show? Mr. Potter, you ever been around a Mr. Potter? He was not a thankful man, if you remember, in that movie. He was not thankful for the things that really counted in this life. Usually a spirit of ungratitude or unthankfulness is fueled by two things, two main things that the Holy Spirit showed me this week. Unthankfulness is fueled by pride, which means I did it my way and in my strength, and I'm the reason that this has been a success, and I'm the reason that things are going well within, in, in the whole world and in my family and everywhere else. And so pride is one reason that you will not be thankful. There's no humility there. You don't realize that it's only through the supply of our God that we have whatever we have. And then the other one is fear. People who are fearful, they're, they're fearful. They're fearful that they're going to lose. They're fearful that, they, that what they have will be gone. They're fearful that you're going to take advantage of them, that you're going to come in and manipulate, that you're going to have it. And they're, and they're fearful. And so they're not thankful because they're always spending their time focusing on protecting theirs, them and theirs, so to speak. Have you noticed that in people's lives? I think another reason... Now, the Holy Spirit gave me late, so I added it in the message. Another one, I think, is because some people who things came easily, I call it the spoiled child syndrome, unearned and uncontrolled provision in their life. Have you been around people like that? They're not very thankful because it came easy. They didn't have to work for it. They didn't have to strive. They didn't have to dream. They didn't have to pray. They didn't have to have a vision for it. And it was dropped into their lap. Have you noticed people like that? They're the kids who just crumple up all their toys, who don't cake. They throw them around, everything else. Now, today, that's pretty much all of us in, in the nation. But, I mean, have you all been around people like that? doesn't mean a whole lot to them, okay? And they're not thankful, Okay. Have you ever noticed people who have had to work hard, who have had to dream, who have had to ask and to pray and to plan to be where they are and to see, even spiritually, the fruit in their children's life? Have you noticed that they are very thankful? And they see these things as precious in their life. Yesterday, I was speaking to a friend of mine. I asked him if it was okay to share this story, and he said yes. At 10 years old, he was living in Cottonport, Louisiana. At 10 years old, he got a job in the Chevrolet automobile place. In those days, Opie could walk to the car dealership, and the, the, and the owner would give him a job. So it was kind of a Mayberry, Opie type thing. And at 10 years old, they gave him a job washing cars. I talked to him about it yesterday. And he said, I remember seeing those big, shiny, beautiful cars. And he said, I remember seeing a Carvette the first time he saw a Carvette. And he said, 
I started dreaming about that Carvette, and I started saying, God, one day, I would love to have a Carvette. This is a 10-year-old boy washing and cleaning cars in Cottonport, Louisiana at the auto dealership. I'm imagining there probably weren't over 10 or 15 cars in the whole dealership in Cottonport, especially he told me it was 1962. And I remember a time when that same man called me up and said, do you think it would... It, it's okay, he said, I almost feel guilty as a Christian. He said, would it be okay for me to buy a Corvette? And I said, by golly, you've worked hard your whole life. You've dreamed and you've prayed for this. I remember telling him this, ministering to him. And I said, God doesn't want you to not have the fruit of your labor. I said, you buy that Corvette with a good conscious on your heart because he was a good man and a tither and a believer in Jesus Christ and helped people and everything. I said, you go and you buy that car and you enjoy it. And I'll never forget, he drove it straight to my house and we anointed it with oil. And he was very thankful for that car. And he cleaned it and kept it up. I believe that a thankful heart produces death to self. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and lose or forfeit his very self or his soul? It produces death to self when you are thankful. Hebrews 12, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19 says, command those who are rich in this present age, in this present time, not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, command them to do good, rich in good deeds, and to be generous, willing to share. In this way, they lay up treasures for themselves in heaven as a firm foundation for the coming age. Do you notice the theme here? The theme here is death to self. Death to self, as the first point, is a Christ-like character. To deny yourself, yourself, your selfishness. To crucify self on a daily basis and then follow Jesus Christ. Why is that? Why was Jesus so big on that? I'm going to tell you why. Because Jesus knew that if we carried self with us on the journey to follow him, that it would weigh us down so much that we would have so much weight on our shoulders that we wouldn't be able to follow him and we would eventually die by the side of the road spiritually. Self is a heavy weight that you put on yourself. And thankfulness, a thankful heart, opens up the door to crucifying self, to killing self. When you humbly thank God for all that you have and share what you have, then you are crucifying self. And that's part of thankfulness. Paul was very, very explicit about this. He said, you go tell those rich people not to glory in their wealth, not to think that they're something, but to glory in God who is their provider and focus on the character of Jesus Christ. He knew this was the only way through a thankful heart, okay? It was only possible through 
a humble and thankful heart. Now, listen to a little nugget here. A spirit of thankfulness is the best antidote to selfishness. If you become thankful, you will not be selfish. Now, let me ask you again, just like a while ago with the grouchy people. Have, you, have any of you in here ever known someone who's selfish, self-centered, all they do is think about themselves. The whole world evolves around moi, around me, and everything. And don't look at your spouse again, okay? <laughs> Have you ever known someone who is totally selfish? Was that person usually or normally, have you noticed that they weren't real thankful? They, they were not thankful for what they had. They were always, as I said before, striving, always trying to have more, always trying to get what you have because yours is always better. I mean, yours can be trash, but they're going to think yours is better because they want yours. Have you noticed that? Self-centered people. But a heart of thanksgiving produces death to self. It also produces, lastly, personal peace and contentment. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing, about nothing, but in everything through prayer and petition, supplication. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. There it is again. He tacks on, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding... The peace of God which transcends all understanding. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now listen, let me say it again. The peace of God which transcends all understanding. How many of us can use a little bit of that? Will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And the door again to it is a thankful heart. When you can say, Lord... I humbly come before you and I thank you for what I have. I thank you, Lord God, for where I am and I thank you, Lord God, and I trust you, Lord God, in these things. Have you ever dealt with your children where they want more and more and more and more and more and more and more? How many of you had kids? Everyone in here ought to raise your hand. And all you're doing before you give them any more is you are waiting for them to be thankful and to treat what they have with thanksgiving. Come on, guys. Have you been there? Give me an amen or something. Amen. Have you been there? Well, the same principle applies with our God and with us. Have you thought for maybe just one second that the reason that you cannot get past point A is because God is waiting for you to be thankful for being at point A and saying, Lord, whatever my lesson is here, I'm willing to learn it. Lord, maybe I need to prepare myself. Maybe I need to grow more. Maybe I need to treat point A with more respect than I am. And then he will say, now you pass. You can go to B. Come on, it's the same way with our God as it is with our children. And he loves us and he wants us to grow in that way. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, Paul says, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. That was the apostle Paul saying that. You see, Paul understood what life was like to have plenty, to be on top, to be rich, to have position. You know, that, that message, that famous message that, uh, uh, I forgot her name, uh, Joyce Mars preached. 
I'll, I'll never forget it. Uh, from the pit to the palace was about Joseph, remember? Joseph ended up in, in prison. He ended up in the pit of despair. He was, he, because, of, because of nothing he did wrong, and he ended up in the pit over and over again. His, his brothers literally threw him in a well, and he ended up in the palace. Well, you see, with Paul, it was just the opposite. Paul was in the palace. He was riding high. He was the big dog. Paul was the man in charge. He was persecuting the Christians. He was the man they all respected. And then he went from the palace to the pit. But Paul found peace and contentment and Paul found joy through a thankful heart in the pit, not in the palace. So you see, God is waiting on us, as I said earlier, waiting on us to say, Lord, I rejoice even in the pit. I rejoice where I am and I say, Lord, teach me and grow me where I am so that I can become what you want me to be. And Paul was even thankful for the trip in between because he knew that real peace and contentment was in thanking God. Thanking him even for the persecution because he knew that the suffering, and he even has a scripture that he wrote, that the suffering was only an identification of the suffering of Jesus Christ. So he thanked him even for that. Listen, listen church. There's a direct correlation, a connection between thankfulness and peace and contentment in your life. Again, in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Paul said, Rejoice always, pray continually, giving thanks in all circumstances. I remember, and some, some of you, most of you here have already heard these stories, but I remember June's mama and my mama and my Uncle Vernon, who literally lived during the Depression. Now, we used to laugh and joke with my mother about that because she would always tell us, you know, that, that we had to eat our food because of the starving children, and she'd pick a country and all that. And so we would laugh about it and, and all that. But in reality, as I grew, I realized that she was really trying to convey to us the reality of what we had growing up. I've shared these stories many times with you before, but my mother didn't get her first. She got her first pair of shoes at about 12 years old. They were used shoes that a rice farmer near Gaydon had children. He was well off, and he brought them because they were so poor. And she got her first pair of used shoes. And I would say, Mama, my mother was the only one in her family who went to school. She went to and graduated from high school in, in, in Gaydon, Louisiana, south of, of Kaplan. And, and, and I said, Mama, did you wear your shoes all the time? And, and, and she said, no. I said, well, what'd you go to school in? She said, I went barefooted. I said, well, what'd you do with your shoes? She said, I wore them on Sunday when we'd go to church. I said, well, did, how do y'all get to church? Because the little church, right, she lived in Wright. Y'all know where Wright is? If you lived in Wright, you'd be home now. Come on, y'all remember that sign? It said it on the rice mill. And I said, how'd y'all get to church? She said, we'd walk. Now, where her house was and where the chapel, where my grandmother is buried, I've driven it, guys. It's, it's not a little short walk like from here to the street. I mean, it's far. Probably two, three miles. And I said, Mama, y'all, what'd she say? Oh, yeah, we walked. I said, well, how'd you get to school? She said, well, we had this old school bus. And she said it would come. It was one of those that had the, uh, it sounded like something you'd seen in a movie of the 30s. 
it had like the canvas stuff on the side of the windows. And uh, she said, I'd, I'd, I'd ride my horse to the road because they lived on a dirt road. And she said, and she, I said, well, how'd the horse get home? She said, I'd tell it go home. Right, my mama, my mama finished school. She went on, she became an LPN, became a nurse in World War II. And she was thankful for everything she had in her life. And I shared with you because of those shoes, and, and Miss Anita and Miss Linnell know her well, but because of that, she loved to buy shoes. And one day she was shopping in town, and my daddy and I took her shoe boxes and counted them, and there were 42 pairs of them. And we hid behind them. We made a little fort. And she came back, we popped our heads up, and she laughed. But when I think about that today, it's because she didn't get her first pair that was used until she was 12. Now, you don't have to raise your hand in here, but how many of you in here spent your first 12 years without shoes? June's mother remembers having no food, having to grow everything you ate. Right? Live in the country. How many of you in here have had to grow everything you eat? Because of that, she was a gardener, and she loved to have a gardener. Came up in the Depression, appreciated every meal. She would eat cereal and milk. Wow. Wow. People actually live like that here in this country. Church, dear ones, listen to me. They still live like that here in this country. And spiritually, people need Jesus Christ. Who's going to share him? That's us. Who's going to share our joy and peace and love of Christ? Us. Right? Now, I have an assignment before we close, and then we're going to have communion. This is what I'd like all of you to do. I would like for between now and Thursday for you to get a piece of paper, and I'd like for you to write all of the blessings in your life. And in that list should be the cross, first of all. Your brothers and sister in Christ, maybe, on that list. How about your parents? How about your children? How about the ability to have one more year to sit around that table, huh, Brother Billy? With your family. Now, how many of you have lost a loved one, a parent, a grandparent, a child in this, in this last year? How many of you have lost a loved one? Raise your hand. A lot of us. You can thank God for them in your life. And you can remember them on Thanksgiving. I want you to make that list. This is your assignment. Oh, this is going to be a tough one. If it's at your house and you have authority there, I want you to say, guys, I'd like for us to hold hands. 
and pray and thank God for one thing in our life and let everyone, I know it sounds cheesy, by golly, you enjoy that meal more than any meal you've ever enjoyed in your life. Can y'all do that? Come on, raise your hand, shake your head, stomp your feet, tell me something. Yeah. Now listen, we're about to share communion and read a scripture. And this is what I'd like for y'all to do. I'd like for you to come up here together. I'd like for y'all to come in groups up here. With your family, with your spouse. If you're alone, I want you to be with someone. I want you to adopt somebody today. And then I want you to go back after you come and get your elements here. The, the bread and, and, and the juice. And then go back and share communion together. Don't come up here by yourself. Look around when someone is here single by themselves. And you get in a group, okay? All right? And if, you, if you're by yourself and you see a group, go up to them and say, Hey, would you all adopt me? Can you do that? And then after you share communion, you're dismissed. There won't be an official dismissal. After you share communion, you are dismissed. And then next week, we begin our Christmas series about the first Christmas. Four-part series on Christmas that you don't want to miss out on because it will really make Christmas special for you this year, okay? Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Therefore, a man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, I want you to do business for a minute with God and ask Him to forgive you. If you would, everyone stand. I want you to do business with God. And I want you to ask Him to forgive you now. And if you have ought against someone, release them right now so that you can come to communion with a clear heart. We'll take a minute now. It doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. It just means that you have to release them. It means that you have to be right before the Lord right now with your heart. Say, Lord, forgive me. I turn them loose. Lord, I forgive them. I ask you to forgive me for what I've done wrong. I love you, Lord, and I trust you for all that I am and all that I am. Amen. Now, y'all, come up here. Start coming up in groups and getting the elements 
understanding, going back in little huddles and having communion, thanksgiving communion. After that, you're released, and we'll see y'all next week for Christmas stories.